This is Repmo Radio. Hello and welcome to another episode of Repmo Radio, where we hear from people of interest and influence who live and work in this city that we love. If you or someone you know has an interesting job, hobby, or a story to tell, reach out to me on Facebook or send an email to jake at repmoradio.com. On this episode, we are going to talk to David Burton. He is a county engagement specialist with the Green County MU Extension. We're going to talk about several ways that the MU Extension programs really enrich our community and its citizens, but I'm particularly interested in his good neighbor initiatives, and we will spend a good chunk of the episode talking about that in particular. Oh, and also his dog Otis. So let's cut in to my conversation with David Burton. Who are you? What do you do for them? And what is the MU Extension? Wow, that's a big question right there. That covers it's a lot multiple, of territory. Yeah, that's a lot of territory. Yeah, yeah. So feel free to expound <laughs> on that as I'm much as you like. I'm over 55. I might not be able to remember all those questions uh, <laughs> here in one setting at the same time. Uh, well, let's start with the, the work part first, I guess. University of Missouri Extension has been around for over 100 years now. Every county in Missouri has an extension office. And the programs that they provide locally depend on the needs of that community. Every county has Every one. Every county Even has the an small, council. just super rural counties. Yes. Okay. Some of those really rural counties may only have one specialist working there. And, uh, of course, we all work multiple counties and some more than others. But every county has its own extension council, which governs the local finances and the programs that are offered. And those Individuals are publicly elected. It's a strange, uh, in Missouri, it's a strange sort of obscure law that governs that, And uh, but they are publicly elected. And they help, they work with the county commission. The county commission provides local funding for the office and for local programs. Uh, every city that has over 10,000 population gets an appointed seat. And so I will make this plug. Uh, Republic has a seat on the council, and it's vacant right now. It's been vacant for a couple of years. A couple of years? A couple of years. A couple of years? A couple of years. Vacancy. Why, why is that? Uh, there, there hasn't been anyone from Republic express an interest in that. There's been no one nominated to that Republic seat. Uh, I certainly have asked some people in the past, but again, if you're not maybe connected with extension or familiar with the programs you might not want to serve the meetings are uh, once a month it's during the noon hour so for some people if they farm or something that's not maybe the best option for them sure so there's a lot of factors that weigh in on that but i just mentioned huh. that since this is repmo radio oh, that, of course uh, yeah there is a vacant seat for this republic on that perfect place but any, to mention but anybody that. could anybody can run and you help oversee the finances of the office uh help determine future programs that take place, and then really um, can have a say in how those programs are, are done. Or maybe maybe you are a farmer and you know of a particular need that the farming community has, then you get to play a role in helping make that educational program happen. So in Greene County and Republic, of course, of being a part of that, what kind of programs does the MU Extension program uh, 
partake in or, yeah. or initiate. Well, there, there, there's a whole smorgasbord of things that it could be. We are limited by time and people, <laughs> right? So uh, we have a, for example, we have a horticulture specialist in Greene County, Kelly McGowan. Uh, about 10% of her time is on a big research project that she's working on uh, related to lavender and uh, making it a commercial crop in Missouri. Wow. Yeah. That's fascinating. It is. It's a very popular uh, thing to be growing, uh, but there's no real guides or research on what it needs to grow uh, effectively and commercially in Missouri. And so this is a Missouri Agriculture Grant that she's working on. I think there's still two more years left on that, maybe just a year. And then there'll be some publications that come out from that. But that's the type of research things that we work on that help make farmers more profitable or help people that want to start a business be profitable. So in Kelly's case, then about 50% of her time is with the Master Gardener chapter that's in Greene County. There's 350 Master Gardeners. Uh, they get regular training. You have to go through a about a 40-hour training to become a Master Gardener. There's a, there is a certification called Master Gardener. That is correct. So you're not a farmer. You're a master. What a, you're mas- a, a master gardener. Master gardeners are people. It, this would be focused on uh, lawn or garden type of activities. Usually home based. Okay, not but not not landscaping necessarily. Not landscaping. This is very okay. This is different from landscaping or farming. This is gardening. Correct. Correct. That's inter- That's I've never heard of a master gardener. You know, you hear of master electrician, or but a master gardener. Yeah, that's really a, interesting. It's a very popular program in Greene County. And now it's been a long time since this study was done. The last one was in uh, 2005 when a gardening magazine looked at per capita expense, expense, expenditures for gardening-related things. And Springfield, Missouri ranked third in the nation behind Portland, Oregon. And I forgot who number two was, but number three was Springfield, Missouri. No kidding. So there's a, I mean, just kind of a look around you, maybe where you live. There's a lot of interest in planting flowers and having gardens still. And um, it's big business in, in this area. Okay. So I'm noticing a theme. Is it mostly agricultural? That's certainly our, that's our historical roots is agriculture. And then also 4-H, which is the youth development program. So farming and ag. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. And uh, now 4-H isn't just agriculture. You don't have to show cattle to be in 4-H. There are other things that youth do as well in that programming. But that's certainly the historical roots of extension. But then there are other categories that people work in from workforce development. We have that in Greene County uh, to human development. She works with both uh, child care facilities, uh, families on family programs, and then community development. Uh, that's another area. And then business development. The Small Business Development Center in downtown Springfield is actually funded by MU Extension. It's in a Missouri State building, so it is a partnership, uh, but it is funded through Extension. So if you want to start okay. a business, go see them and get help with starting your business plan and stuff. Wow. So there's a lot of people probably don't know that these resources it's a broad are, are range. out there. Yeah, that's broad a broad range. range of stuff. So most of these folks... Uh, this isn't their full-time gig. They're these people that are on the council and the people that are involved in some of these projects. This is just volunteer labor of yeah. love for them. Well, for for council members, it is volunteer, of course. And then f- for the specialists that work in the county, we're paid by the University of Missouri. Which you, which you are one. Which I am one of those. Yep. And so there's uh, there's five of those in Greene County now. Uh, there's been less. There's been more. Depends on state budgets from time to time. 
but so we are fully paid by the University of Missouri, and then the Greene County Commission provides funding for uh, our local operations and to be able to do local programs. So it's a it's a shared partnership, and I, and I'll put in this little brag. Um, last year and the year before, Greene County uh, had more students in classes and programs that we do than any other county in the state of Missouri, and we're on track to lead the state again this year. We we have some really strong programs here. I mentioned Kelly McGowan. I mean, she has a great master gardener program. And Amber Allen in human development. I mean, we have some really strong programs here. So we had about 46,000 Greene County residents that were in an extension program last year in one way or the other. Maybe they were in 4-H. Maybe they came to one of our ag programs. Sometimes people come to our programs and don't even know it's MU yeah. Extension. Now, is it just, that's is, a lot of people. Is this just for college age folks to get involved? No, nope. it's all. These are all strictly non-credit community-based programs. Wow. Okay. And so, uh, and nutrition is another one of the categories. And if your child goes to a Title One, a school that has Title One um, eligibility, and it and they come home talking about nutrition class that they went to. That was an MU extension program. Those in-school nutrition programs are all extension as well. Okay, where is the MU extension office in Greene County? Uh, well, the last 12 years, we've been located in the Botanical Center there in uh, Nathaniel Green Park. And the connection there is because of the Master Gardener program. Those trained volunteers maintain the gardens and things there at the Botanical Center. Not a bad place to have an office. Not a bad place. You know, people say that all the time, and I'd like to say that I go on a lovely walk every day around the park, but I do not. It is a rarity. Oh, come but, on. <laughs> come but, on. I hope I hope you will uh, reflect on your ways, and after this conversation, take advantage, because people are going to hear this and go, what? You work at at Nathaniel Green and you don't even take advantage of walking around? I, I, I don't. It's a sorry state of affairs to say that. All right. Yeah, but it's a beautiful park and come come visit us, yeah. So let's let's go back towards the beginning. How did a young David Burton go from I'm eighteen and the world is my oyster to where you where you are now? How did you get connected with MU Extension? What was what was your, your journey? Well, you ask at the beginning, who is David Burton? And for, first and foremost, I'm a, I'm a believer and follower of Jesus Christ. And so when we look at my career path and we say, how did that happen? I have to say, uh, God, on a lot of that. Um, it wasn't part of my plan necessarily. And, but then you look back at the age I am now and you can say, oh, okay, if not for that, then it w- this wouldn't have happened. And if not for that, and so I uh, went to college with aspirations of being an attorney. Uh, that was kind of my dream. I like to say that uh, that was due to watching too much L.A. law on TV. I thought it would be a really cool career. And, but I got into journalism in college because the creative writing class I wanted to take was filled, and I had to get a writing credit in. And so I took journalism, and I ended up being the editor of the college newspaper and had a lot of fun doing that, really enjoyed that and enjoyed writing. Well, I went off to law school and after a year, the summer that I came back, I was really struggling with whether or not to return. Um, My grades were okay. It was just really the first time in my life that I did not like school. Uh, I think there's a lot of factors on that. (laughs) Uh, Just 
bigger campus maybe and well and that says a lot from a guy who works for a college so <laughs> there were if you didn't like school i didn't I, that phase. I, I, did, I just i just did not and my, my father had passed away about a year before and i you know there's just, i think there's a lot of factors in that but i i really did spend that summer kind of soul searching on what i should do and the newspaper in willard missouri came up for sale and a company out of georgia bought it and then contacted me about would i want to be the managing editor I don't really know exactly how that all came about, I guess. Uh, but at the time, for someone who loved journalism and felt kind of miserable at law school, to get a call to manage a weekly paper that covered my hometown and uh, a town next to it, it seemed like a dream opportunity. Yeah, that seems kind of out of the out of left field. A little bit a little out of the bit, blue because yeah. I hadn't, you know, I didn't have any uh, professional experience in that way, just college newspaper experience. But uh, I, I took that as part of the part of the answer uh, to the prayers I had been making. So I took that position. I worked there for five, almost six years. I, I would still say that weekly newspaper editor was the best job I ever had and the most fun I ever had. Really? And um, I, I just I loved all aspects of it, really. Um, but I didn't love the pay. <laughs> and I met my wife, uh, who grew up in Willard. Uh, while working at the newspaper, and well, actually, we met in a Sunday school class at a church, and um, and when I when we decided to get married, I realized I actually need to be able to pay for a roof over our heads, and that sent me to looking for another career. Yeah, local journalism. I mean, even going back in time to its heyday was still kind of rough sometimes, especially for those real small local papers like yes. one in Willard. You don't get into that to make a ton of money. And unfortunately, sometimes you get into it and you don't even make a little money. <laughs> like you're yes. making little, little yes. money. Like, yes. Yeah. And that so it was 80, 89 yeah. to 94, sure. you know, that I was there. And uh, But I, I it was great experience on a lot of levels. And then that, you know, that led to uh, a Missouri State where I did some fundraising and development. And that, that ended up leading to a public. Like a, as a student? Uh, no, as a professional career. Okay. And uh, did fundraising for. A uh, little, just a little under five years, and then uh, public relations and marketing for Associated Electric Cooperative in Springfield, and that was right at about four years, I think, as as well. Um, both of those may be enough time to get an itch to feel like maybe I should be doing something else, you know, uh, just for different for different reasons in both of them. But I, I th- the the skill sets are similar and they are related. I met great people, and I think. Looking back, those skill sets have served me well at the University of Missouri when the extension office here in the county, when we had some big budget cuts, guess who got to do the fundraising? It was yeah. it was me, yeah. and, I, and I was glad that I had that background, that experience. It still comes into play some. Yep, fundraisers and good grant writers are rarely the first folks cut when there's budget constraints. Yeah, it's not it's not my favorite thing to do professionally. If it was, I'd still be at Missouri State doing it but uh sometimes it's necessary sure and uh and so then that led to mu extension and really when i uh started there 20 years ago now uh it was to run a regional news bureau that was the idea that was the concept um and that was going to provide content for media media outlets throughout southwest missouri and so did that, but as kind of has typically been the case in 20 years, state budget cuts happened. <laughs> and so that job description after about a year changed, 
And when people left, I inherited some of their work. And so out of the 20 years, I've really only done the job that I applied for <laughs> one year. That's interesting. But and then it morphed. And it morphed. And it, and it has continued to morph. And I guess maybe that may be one of the good things about extension. I guess we flex when there is an expressed need or when something has happened or when someone has a different skill set. So I, I've been able to kind of rewrite my own path a couple of different times, and that's been a good thing. Sometimes there's been grants that have come into play, and so you have to be able to do the work of that grant, and I and I really appreciate having that flexibility, and that, that really is kind of a little bit of how we've ended up in this neighboring space as well. Sure, uh, and so that is something that I'm really excited to talk with you more about because it really falls in line, I think, with something similar to what I'm trying to accomplish with this show, which is uh, connecting people, getting people to know who their neighbors are. And I I say the word neighbor, I mean kind of all of our city, right? So then people hear you, David, on this podcast. Uh, I you know post a, a picture with you or they look you up on Facebook, whatever. They run into you at Price Cutter. Oh, David, we've never met, but I you know heard about, heard about you on Retmo Radio and I have a question about MU Extension or whatever. I want people to, especially as this city grows want people to be able to feel like they still know what's going on in their community. They know uh, what the, the movers are sh- and shakers are doing and feel connected to them. So they're still, you know, approachable or whatever. They're not just a, a face on um, their social media feed or whatever. So uh, I feel like there's a kind of a similar goal there. So what, what I want to do is just take a, a really quick break. And then when we come back from the break, I want to ask you, both about uh, all of your good neighbor stuff, uh, as well as Otis. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So we'll get to that too. All All right. All right. We'll be right back after the break. And now for a short segment called Ava's Accolades, where you get to hear something positive from a kid. Ava's Accolades. Da na na da na na da. Ava's Accolades. Da na na da na na da. Hello and welcome to Ava's Accolades. Today, we are talking about classic rock coffee. It is the best place to chill, listen to music, and hang out. They also have really nice breakfast. I would recommend the orange muffin, by the way. That's one of my favorites. Also, they have mini games that you can play to entertain yourself. Um, And one of our favorites is Battleship. This was today's accolades. Goodbye now. Ava's accolades. Da-na-na, da-na-na-da. Ava's accolades. Da-na-na, da-na-na-da. And we're back. Uh... For those who don't know who Otis is, Otis is a dog. Otis is a very cute dog. I don't know the breed. He's a sheepoo. He's half Shih Tzu, half poodle. Oh my gosh, it's wonderful. Look, <laughs> look up David on Facebook and look up pictures of his dog. Um, so let's talk about uh, the family. Let's talk about your family. Sure. So you had mentioned that you uh, met your your wife at church. Yes. Okay. Uh, and so 
you're in a Sunday school class. You're supposed to be paying attention to the lesson. I was. You were okay. I was gonna say, were you getting a little distracted noticing her? Or like, how how did this how did this blossom? Well, I I always say that she made the mistake at la- of laughing at some of my jokes. Oh my and gosh! So that was uh, what drew my attention. And uh, then she happily always adds to the story that uh, I asked her out on a date and she turned me down once. Is that true? That is true. Oh, ouch. That is true. And then her sister came from out of state to visit, and I was talking to both of them at church, just walking by, and after I left, Stacy said to her sister, that's the guy that asked me out. I told him no. And her sister said, you know, you should go out on a date with him. You don't have to marry the guy. And, <laughs> <laughs> and the rest is history. Oh, wow. Okay, where was your first date? Do you remember? Uh yeah, we <laughs> we went to Red Lobster, uh, which she didn't care for Red Lobster, but I didn't know that until after the fact. <laughs> and then we went to see a movie, which maybe is not the best uh, first date thing to do, but that is what we did. This was in the, you know, in the 80s still. So yeah. went to see Hook, I think, was the movie. Okay, we well, it's not bad. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And, and it's stuck. And it's stuck. Okay. That's great. Uh, so tell me about your kids. Yeah. Well, uh, we're kind of empty nesters. Our son, Matthew, graduated from Republic High School, went both of my kids went all the way through Republic schools, and he uh, got married last year. He's been married for a year, and he works for Patio, which is a home loan company in Springfield, Missouri. He and his wife Megan, and his wife actually teaches at Schofield Elementary. So we're keeping the Republic. Oh wow, you're really keeping it in town. Republic yeah. connection going there. So uh, really proud of uh, Matthew and the work he's doing, and um, he still drums at his church and still musically inclined, and he got that from uh, Republic schools as well. Then our daughter is uh, will be a junior at Southwest Baptist University. She is gone all summer. We miss her, um, but she is working huge youth camps at Union University in Jackson, Tennessee. So That's pr- really cool. proud of both of them and the you know the connections they're they're keeping. And well, um, the one more personal thing I want to ask you is is funny. I always ask them like, hey, you know, is there any anything you don't want to talk about I always ask my guests that just if there's something I uncomfortable I want to avoid and he's like you're not I mean it's not like we're going to talk about my love life and now I realize that that's exactly what I asked I didn't realize that that's actually well we didn't we didn't go too deep into that (laughs) no 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 and and I realized I just bragged about my kids and didn't say anything about my wife Stacy Stacy is a speech therapist at Schofield Elementary and that uh that's okay that's a big part of how we ended up over in over in republic to begin with so yeah we've been married for 29 wow. years love of my life and wow. i'm really proud of stacy um people like that are kind of in the unsung hero category in my opinion uh because you are as a speech therapist you are changing that child's life forever yes. like giving them the ability to clearly communicate is something that once they once they have learned it and once they know it, um, it, it will literally change their life. I agree. You're, it's amazing. You're you're giving my sales pitch, or, or <laughs> you're giving my pep talk that I give my wife occasionally. Sometimes I mean, it's she great. yeah, because it's probably very frustrating too. To sure, sometimes. But yes. I keep saying, man, you're you know you're changing people's lives, and you never know what sort of impact that will have. Oh, sure. for them down the road. Yeah, hundred percent. Absolutely. Uh, so this <laughs> this good neighbor. I, I don't like the word stuff, but there's a lot that it, it, it that this is encompasses. So I'm going to have to use the word stuff, and then I'm going to let you break this down. And I think the best way to do that is probably in chronological order. Okay. Um, sure. Because there's so many different kind of th- 
touch points that you've done with this. So how did the idea, did it start with you and, and why and how did it, did you have a, you know, a, a bad interaction with a neighbor and you're like, all right, this, I'm going to fix this. Like we, we shouldn't be doing this to each other. Some kind of property line dispute or something. And not, you know, not, or, so, <laughs> not so much that, although I will say, you know, now I, w- I wish I knew 30 years ago what I know now ah. about getting along with neighbors and dealing with neighbors and what that can look like. So I, I wish I could go back and, and make some corrections sure. in, in my past places of residence. So where uh, did the idea come from? Uh, well, <laughs> I guess the, the truthful story is that, uh, and that's wh- what we're here to tell, um, our church, we attend Ridgecrest Baptist in Springfield, added the word neighbors to the mission statement, and the pastor gave a sermon about loving your neighbor, and honestly, I heard the sermon, and I left thinking, well, I've already got that. I mean, that, that's me. I, I love my neighbor. I don't, I don't throw loud parties. I pick up after my dog Otis when I take him on a walk, and uh, I wave at people, so I'm the perfect neighbor. And we left that next day to go on a little vacation to Colorado to visit my sister-in-law, who I can credit for uh, Stacy going out on a date with me. And her church, she works at a church out there, and uh, we went with her to church, and they were just kicking off their new theme for the year, which was Love Thy Neighbor. And I'm a little hard-headed sometimes, but you know, this is number two, and I'm thinking, hmm, maybe I should be paying a little more attention to this uh, subject matter. And then a few days later, a fellow co-worker of hers came to me and said, hey, I hear you like to read books. You might like to read this one. And he handed me a copy of the book, The Art of Neighboring by Dave Runyon. And so this is number three. And so God's in a, in a short span, in a short of, span time. of time. So God kind of has my attention on this subject. But really, I would have already said, that I was the perfect neighbor. You know, I was just, a, you know, I did everything a neighbor should do. I was quiet and left people alone. And uh, which is kind of the the cultural narrative of what a good neighbor is. And so coming back across Kansas, I listened to a lot of books on Audible. I uh, started listening to Art of Neighboring. And I wasn't even through chapter one yet. And I'm like, oh, my word, I'm a horrible neighbor. I'm not a good neighbor at all. And that book just kind of wrecked me on what that meant to be a neighbor. And caused Stacy and I to have a lot of conversations about what that looks like. I mean, our as our kids had gotten older, we spent less time on the driveway um, with, with them and their younger kids playing and neighbors, you know, in the driveway, which happened quite a bit when they were younger, but later on never happened at all. And, and people around us had sold houses and they'd come and gone and new people had moved in and we hadn't even cared enough to get to know their name. But I really was adopting the cultural narrative. And this is still the cultural narrative. Most of the research will show that Americans will say a good neighbor is someone who's quiet and leaves me alone. And that's really what we had fallen into. And, but in reading that book, I realized, man, we've, we're not doing this the right way at all. And the, if we're really going to love our neighbor, the opposite of love is not hate. The opposite of love is just apathy. And we had apathy. Um, we weren't invested in their lives enough to even know their name. And so we really did set out on a journey to really change that, to introduce ourselves, to try and build connection with our neighbors and uh, through, you know, small ways and big and small, I guess. Neighboring sort of a crock pot. It's a, it is a slow process uh, a little bit, but we were very intentional in trying to make those connections. 
and that that just kind of grew in ourselves. And then COVID came along, and a couple of neighbors said, "Let's organize some things in the neighborhood." And so we each week we had a different theme during COVID. We had an art walk, and we had a a teddy bear hunt, which is based on a book where families put teddy bears in their windows, and and kids walk along and you know look for the teddy bear like they're hunting for bears. And uh, uh, I'm trying to think of what some of the other themes were, chalk art and things. So we had different themes throughout COVID. And somewhere in the process of doing that, um, it probably happened after a nap. That seems to be when my best thinking occurs. Um, It dawned on me that, wait, um, this isn't just a personal interest. This is actually community development. This is taking community development back to the grassroots. Because a lot of the work I was doing was either leadership training in groups or working with city governments. And then that's all fine. There's a, there's a niche for that. But looking at our neighborhoods and the people that live in them, that's really more of a grassroots approach. And, and what I sometimes say now is there's very little, there's probably nothing I can do that changes Washington, D.C. There's very little I can do that changes Jefferson City. But there's a whole lot I can do that impacts my neighbors and neighborhood. And if I just take an interest in building those connections uh, with our neighbors. And so that's really what we've set out to do with personally and then also with this sort of program through Extension where I'm teaching on the topic of neighboring and trying to get people uh, willing to invest their life and set some time, time aside to get to know their neighbors and build those connections. And we've seen some great things happen around the county, but there is still resistance to that idea. That is I'm just I'm trying to change the cultural narrative and that takes time for yeah, sure. Yeah, in a broad sense cuz <clears throat> I mean I can think of several people that I know that I'm friends with off the top of my head that I've heard them say this or something similar to where oh yeah, somebody you know moved in across the street, I hope they keep to themselves. Uh, or when a, a neighbor, someone in their neighborhood does come up to their door and is like, hi, you want to come over for dinner? And they're like, oh, that person on our street. Like, oh, they actually came over and tried to talk to me. They want me to go in their house. Oh, why? I just want to come home and be left alone. Like there are people that uh, I know a lot of people who, that are that way. And, uh, you know, I'm a... Uh, person who I like to get to know people. So I'm that person in the neighborhood that's like, hey, da 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 And you can just tell when people kind of re- recoil, right? Or uh, you're outside, they're outside, you kind of make eye contact and they, you know, kind of duck and dodge and, you know, whatever. How uh, I, I compare that to thinking about neighborhoods, you know, 60, 70 years ago, uh, you know, or prior when, you know, and I know People, people, the people don't like this word, but um, there was more of like a collective mindset in the neighborhood, right? That kids would go from house to house, and if if another parent disciplined your kid, like that was okay because you all knew each other and you were all you know okay with each other's uh, kids. And if somebody was sick, you went over and brought them food, and uh, it, it was just much more of a. I mean, if you want to go way back to like party lines, you know when somebody would try to make a phone call, the whole neighborhood could literally listen in on what you were saying. I mean, it was just a different time and a different mentality. And everything now is so much more um, withdrawn and individualistic and everybody's living in their own little little bubbles. And so, I mean, how 
how are you working to 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 overcome that right to i guess um to to make that culture shift for people who are just kind of like eh like why yeah well the, well you, you've covered a lot of territory in 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 that and in these questions it, it's it is a big subject when i when i kind of realized okay this has an application to community development I need to read read up on this subject a little bit, see what current research there is out there. And the fact is, the Art of Neighboring book came out 10 years ago, and really over the last, from eight to seven years, there's been a massive amount of research and study and books coming out in this subject area. And so it's not my original idea by any, any means, and so I, I really set out to try and absorb a lot of that research and topics. I, neighboring is the only thing I've read on and the only type of book I've read on over the last three years. And there's uh, a new one I picked up this month. And so I do a class. I talk to authors about the subject and researchers about the subject, trying to kind of grasp what is kind of like an amoeba at times. It's a, it's a big topic and has different pieces to it. And so there's a lot that goes into answering a, a question like that, I think. It's a massive topic. And I, I think you talked about how people used to neighbor in the past. And I, one of the interesting things that I've come across is there was a research study done in the 1950s by Harvard Medical School when they asked people about what it is that makes someone a good neighbor. And then they categori categorized those answers. And 92% of the responses to that survey had to do with social connection. A good neighbor was someone who would watch your kids. Is someone they were someone that invite you over for dinner. Is someone that you played cards with. It, all these things were about social connection. And we are created as social beings. I mean, we are meant to have that social connection. And I will just say, you know, Facebook does not count, and some of these other things do not count for that social connection. And don't argue with me. You can argue with the research that is pouring out on that subject matter and the the detrimental effect of that. Um, so all, all this research that's come out and social connection, well, these authors, researchers at Harvard came along in 2016 and repeated that study question, and the responses to their study came back like 180 degrees different, where now 80% of the respondents were basically saying a good neighbor is someone who's quiet and leaves me alone. So that is a titanic wow. shift in how we respond and look at our neighbors. And State Farm did some research studies in 2015 and 2016. And from their studies, they found that this idea of a good neighbor didn't even have a positive connotation anymore. They, they changed their jingle there for a while. They changed their tagline for almost two years. And then they brought back the like a good neighbor some because it's just so iconic, I think. But from those studies, they were saying this this might even be such a positive thing for in a lot of people's minds because they, they don't have a, a background experience for it. So we've made that sort of cultural shift, but we are still, we're, we're designed to have uh, three, three basic friend group or three basic groups that we socially connect with. It's uh, family, friends, and neighbors. And that's not a new design. That goes back thousands and thousands of years. And uh, what we have done is we've, we really have dropped this neighbor's uh, link, this circle, as some people refer to it, and we've incorporated it into friends. And there really is a difference between friends and people that are neighbors. So neighbors are sometimes referred to as weak link the, in that social connection, but there is really 
power in having those weak links. Your weak links, your neighbors, are often your first responders when there's a disaster or when you have a problem. Um, they connect with your family more. When you have proximity, it is easier to connect socially in some ways. Uh, but there's also that's also the first people you should work with to resolve problems in your neighborhood, in your community even. Don't just automatically call the city. There's lots that we can do as citizens by working together. But there's also uh, communities that have strong neighborhood connections, see about a 60% decrease in crime. That's one of the statistics that sticks out. Someone who is isolated and does not have neighbor connections, uh, there's a health equivalent to that. The health equivalent is smoking a pack of cigarettes a day. That really? If you're disconnected from your neighbors, you might as well just go be smoking a pack of cigarettes a day. It has that sort of negative health impact on you. You don't realize that, but that that is, uh, there's several significant health research studies on that. Uh, one mo more recently, even cited by the U.S. Attorney uh, Surgeon General, that point to that same sort of data. We, we are created to be social beings. And those people living around you, the proximity, it makes it easier to have that sort of social connection. But we have really gotten out of the practice of doing that. Well, you know, I wonder, In you can choose your friends. You can, in a way, even choose your coworkers, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Like if, if yeah. your work environment starts to get yeah. nasty enough, you can leave, yeah. right, and get another job. You can't. You you can choose your church group, even yes, right. Yes. You can't choose your neighbors. You have no control over you know who lives across the street from you. I think that's so, a good thing. Okay. Can you expound on that? Uh, yeah. Well, there's a there's a great. I think that might be the key of maybe one of the keys why people are like, yeah, I don't know. I mean, if I if I get lucky and my neighbors are cool and mm -hmm. I like them, then fine. But you can't. I didn't pick you <laughs> to live next to me. Well, I'll give this plug first. There's a book called Placed for a Purpose which is a great book and kind of addresses this issue from a, from a Christian worldview about being placed someplace with a, with a purpose for those around us. But when we talk socially, we can even talk uh, to the democracy. Uh, Americans have lost the ability to have civil discussions and relations with people that have different opinions from them. And so much so that now we just gravitate toward the Facebook group that has everybody that has our personal opinion. Uh, so we have marginalized <laughs> people around us uh, and really just have our own clique groups. That is not good for a democracy. Alexis de Tocqueville, 220 years ago, wrote about the key to the American democracy, and he said it was the fact that we grouped, we gathered together in associations, you know, like clubs and, and things with people that uh, did not have the same opinion, and we were able to talk about important issues to the democracy. That that was the key to our success. How do you think that's working out these days? Do you see that playing out in, in just the modern political arena, right. even locally? Echo chambers. I mean, echo chambers. And uh, if you don't have the same opinion to me, it's not just that you're wrong, you're evil. And the, this inability to talk with people. We've, we have many people have no place to even practice that because they do not even know or talk with their neighbors. I, I know when we set out to meet our neighbors, we discovered a gold mine around us of backgrounds and experiences. And while I would have initially said my neighborhood lacked diversity uh, because everyone looked a whole lot like me, when I got to know people, I realized it was full of diversity and experiences. I have 
you know, different lifestyles around me. I have veterans living around me. I have a four-time Purple Heart recipient that lives near me. And, you know, I honestly just kind of always thought he was cranky. But then when I heard his story and understood what had happened in his life, I understood a lot more about him and really gained a, a, a super appreciation for him. And then other neighbors that, you know, have had very different experiences, so they see things differently for me. And my, my life and my understanding of issues is richer because of that, uh, not, not weaker. And so when you think about what we've just experienced in our own lives, in our own neighborhood, and you multiply that across the nation— um, you, you can see what type of challenge we have. Sure. So what would your advice be to somebody who hears this and goes, uh, you know, I'm feeling kind of convicted. I don't know anybody on my street or in my neighborhood. Uh, you know, I'm kind of introverted. We've, we've lived across from each other for like seven, eight years and now I've never done awkward. this before, so now I'm going to be like, hi, you that I don't know your name after eight years. Uh, do you want to be, like, friends? I mean, like, so how, how do you tell somebody who is like, you know what, David, you're right. Like, time to get to know my neighbors. What what's that what's that first just lean into the awkward or what? And what do you do? <laughs> lean into the awkward or I have a friend that says eat crow while it's young and tender. And so if, <laughs> if they've lived across the street from you for seven years, you're gonna have to eat a little crow and say, Man and frankly, that's what my wife and I had to do. We knocked on the doors and said, Hey, I know you've lived here for three years. We've never introduced ourselves. That's on us. Uh, here's all of our contact information, cookies. We want to do a better job of uh interacted with you and gained to know you. And uh, it was universally well accepted on all the doors that we knocked at. I can't promise you that'll be the case for oh, everybody. So you, didn't, you didn't like wait till they were outside in the yard. You went up and just knocked I went up and door. knocked on doors. Not everybody's comfortable with that. If you want to wait until they're out in the front yard and catch them, that feels less awkward to you. I'd say go for that. I'd, sometimes people come to some neighboring classes and they leave and they're saying, man, I'm going to go throw a block party. And my encouragement is don't do that. Um, my not at first. Not at first. Not at first. My encouragement is the first step is getting to know their names. That's the first step. Um, know their names. Use their names. Throw a fun party. Maybe the fun party is even just on the driveway and just simple cookies or whatever. But some sort of social connection. But it begins by learning and remembering their names. If you're like me, I had to hear their names, and then I went back home and wrote it down so I could remember yep. and I could use those names. And even in the example, the question you were asking about, oh, hey, so-and-so, man, there's nothing that helps a relationship more than using somebody's name. There's a big difference between seeing your neighbor out and saying, hey, you, versus being able to say, hey, Matt, how are things going? Yeah, absolutely. It moves the relationship along a lot. So that really is the first step. And maybe you just... Uh, uh, my wife and I sometimes refer to it as the ministry of being available, just uh, trying to make some time in our normal flow of life to hang out the mailbox a little longer, sit in the lawn chair on the front driveway, just being available and catching people when you see them out, when you take your dog on a walk, being available to stop yeah, sure. and willing to stop and right. have a conversation, not just uh, leave it with a wave. And uh, there's another approach that we talk about sometimes called plus ones, and that is you you want to try and make every day 
a plus one day for neighboring. And a plus one is some sort of positive interaction with one of your neighbors. Maybe that is just a text message to check up on them. That could be a plus one. Uh, maybe it is just a, a smile and a wave on the driveway. But I think if you track that, you'll see that if you're not really consciously thinking about it, you're liable to go weeks and weeks without ever having a plus one, uh, especially in a clicker neighborhood where we click the garage door, we drive in, and we click it, and the garage door goes down. So trying to have a plus one, it makes me more conscientious of who have I interacted with today, have I checked on a neighbor, uh, and if you do those plus ones over time, it, it really builds those relationships. And you're, you know, I'm, I'm not suggesting you do this because your neighbors are a project or because uh, you need to fix them or anything like that. This is, this is really about positive uh, relationships. And when you have those positive relationships, then you can work better work through problems if problems come up. <laughs> or there may be an asset or something in your neighborhood that you all want to rally around and work on together to make even better. Uh, but you got to have those relationships first. Yeah, uh, you mentioned a class. Okay, so there's a there's a within uh, your capacity at MU Extension. There's a formalization to these ideas. These aren't just hey, these are things I talk about and write about and am passionate about. Like you're you're kind of making this a formal initiative. Is am I describing that right? So it so what it, so what is available to uh, to folks who are more interested in being a good neighbor and changing their community for the better in this way. Yeah, well, we, we do have a process that we kind of go through, and so I had to convince someone above me that this was something to test, and we, we set up some different things that would be test pilots uh, in the neighboring space, and some of those worked out uh, well, and some of them didn't meet our expectations. So there's been some classes, even online, other formats that uh, maybe had a lot of attendance and then fit fizzled and maybe didn't have the impacts that we were hoping to. So we're always looking to change and experiment with things. Um, right now, formal classes, uh, I do some of them at the library around when I'm invited to do so. But the two that have really, or the one that's really stuck is something I do every month called Neighboring 101. Uh, and we have different guests and authorities on this subject from all over the nation that join in on that Zoom uh, class. If you can't attend live on Zoom, if you register for the class, you will get the recording of that. So you may learn some things or be challenged in some areas through that Neighboring 101 class. So I do other one-offs with groups that want something done. We've also settled in on doing and offering sort of mini-grants in the community. If you're wanting to do something in your neighborhood, uh, we'll reimburse you up to $250 if you apply for one of our mini-grants. We do have a cap on how much of that we do each year. Um, and then two big initiatives, uh, March 20th is Won't You Be My Neighbor Day? And so we've done a kindness challenge the last couple of years around Mr. Rogers' birthday is what that date is. And this year we try, our goal was to document 100 acts of kindness. So we end up documenting 854 in Greene County that people reported on. And then the big initiative in the fall is what is now being called Missouri Good Neighbor Week. Okay, so I want to butt in on this one because okay. you, I'm gonna, I'm gonna correct you on something that you said earlier. You said, you know, I try not to focus on not being able to change things in Jeff City. Well, that's true. But that's not actually right, David, because 
you uh, got involved with our local state rep, Bishop Davidson, yes, to actually get formal legislation passed in the state to make Good Neighbor Week a thing. A thing. That's that's true, and thank you to Representative Davidson for the effort he put in on that too. It came down to the last uh, the last day of the legislative oh, session. Oh no, kidding! Yeah, no kidding! Yeah, it he's did. he's been on this show as well. So if you're interested in learning more about Bishop, you can check out his episode from uh, last season. He's he's a good dude. He, <laughs> he is a, he is a good dude, and I'm uh, thankful for his help on that. It's you know there there is a National Good Neighbor Day. Uh, it was signed into law by Jimmy Carter. It's on September 28th. Uh, so it's not like National Pretzel Day or National Dog Day. I mean, it's an actual uh, federal. It's law. legit. It's I, legit. I could, that seems like a very Jimmy Carter thing. So yeah, yeah. Yes, yes, it does. Yes, it does. And uh, so in Missouri, what we've done is it, our Missouri Good Neighbor Week begins on National Good Neighbor Day, and then it extends for six more days. So because September twenty eighth kind of moves all over the calendar, right? And uh, and so having a week that does not. Uh, change everybody's life it it doesn't uh, automatically make everybody a good neighbor but what it does do it gives us a chance once a year to remind people of the importance of neighboring and encouraging groups and organizations to to do things at that time that we hope are a spark plug to people to to do neighboring more on a regular basis and so this year what has been a trial uh in this region in fact the first Good Neighbor Day uh, trial I tried was here in Republic five years ago. We did a small project with the city and then uh, focused on Republic again the next year in a different way. And so now here we are at this stage uh, where we have people joining in from across the state. And we're going to be with those teams and partnerships around the state recognizing the best active neighboring and the most engaged neighbor in every county of the state or at least in every county that we have a partner. And uh, people are signing up for that right now, and uh, it looks pretty strong. I don't think we'll get all 114 counties. That Maybe that's just my negative uh, tendencies. But we're going ha- to have a lot, and our goal is to document 10,000 acts of neighboring during Missouri Good Neighbor Week. Wow. So I um, want you to hold me accountable to this, okay? On Good Neighbor Week, what I uh, am going to do and what I challenge anybody listening to this episode to do is to I'm just I have a small little cul-de-sac and I'm going to introduce myself uh, even even people already know me or have seen me or whatever I'm just gonna go and be like hey you know what it's good neighbor week in the state I figured this would be a good enough time as any for me just to come up and be like if you don't know who I am this is who I am here's a cookie or whatever, yeah, you yeah. know, and just like reestablish sure. that. Yeah, absolutely. Right? Uh, so hold, is, hold me to that. I'll hold you to, hold the, me to I'll it. hold you to this. Cause what, well, what we really want you to do is after you do that, then uh, there's going to be several websites. The links all the same and go to that website and kind of report on what you did. Okay. The, the action yeah. of it. And I you can give, do that. And you give the number of how many people you visited with and that, yeah. in that example. And that yeah. helps move us toward that challenge. Okay. There's some, yeah, there, there's a statewide sponsor and some others that I'm being that I'm talking to in the next couple of weeks, so I can't give full details yet, I guess. But uh, I think there'll be some exciting things with that project, and um, 
If you're an introvert, maybe just means take write a nice note to your neighbor saying, I really like the way you keep your yard, or I really admire, you know, something about you, or just a nice note. Maybe yeah, it's, you know their address. You know so their you address. Can, right, so you're you introvert. Throw them in the mail. More of an introvert, you can begin with a note, or maybe it's a note, a chalk, nice uh, quotes or something on the sidewalks and chalk, or maybe it is a plate of cookies or introducing yourself. There's a Lots of different ways you can do that. In fact, we have a uh, something on our website called a, th- a hundred acts of neighboring. They're all easy starter ideas on things you could undertake. But then just be sure and come back and report that during Missouri sure. Good Neighbor Week so yeah. we can re- celebrate me, it. Re- hold me to it. Uh, there was a neighborhood though in Republic that got yeah. a statewide that was like statewide ranked. Is that right? Like third that's, place. That, that's a national rank. National rank. Third the, place nationally, a neighborhood in Republic. That is correct. Holy smokes. Can, can so, you tell us about that? Yeah. So there's an organization called Neighborhoods USA. Uh, they had their 47th annual national convention this year. Most of the members of that organization are urban-based. That's kind of been its focus over the years. But uh, part of that conference, they uh, they do an awards program. You have to submit applications and ideas, and then they pick finalists to come to the conference and present. And you can sit on presentations to hear what other organizations are doing or other individuals. And so I got to go and uh, did six presentations, and we came home with five national awards. And one of those was for Stony Creek Estates, which is the neighborhood I live in. Uh, and we looked at the projects we'd done in that neighborhood over the course of two years, from, from pandemic to 2021, uh, the end of 2021 is what we profiled the efforts that we did there and it was selected as third best uh, neighborhood of the year for social revitalization wow so you went from like that initial hearing that sermon yeah i'm a good neighbor i leave oh shoot i don't know anybody to fast forward a couple years and now just because of taking a little bit of initiative not that the award is why you do it of course but like that just shows how much intentionality can do to a group of people who are all living in close proximity to each other. Absolutely, absolutely. I, the university loves uh, employees and specialists to be involved in research, and they love to be able to talk about impacts and awards. And so, honestly, it's because of the career that I applied for those awards, you know, because to have a little bit, see if I could come up with a national award that'd give a little legitimacy to the work we're doing. Sure. And so it's not like for personal pat on the back it was really for that's important to the work that i do yeah absolutely and and so i did not expect to have that sort of uh success i was just thrilled that i was getting to go and do some presenting at the awards and i was thrilled to hear other people's ideas uh but the five awards was a biggie and one of the things that pushed the stony creek over the uh i think over the top into the final three was uh, a psa program that ky3 did last year one of their uh, KY3 for Kids series, they did uh, neighboring. I approached them about doing that for National Good Neighbor Day, and they came and formed, uh, filmed all four segments there in Stony Creek. And so we lined up neighbors, and we met, met and we were you know involved in doing those PSAs. And that was really, really unique, not something they had seen from another neighborhood yeah. in the past. Wow. So you have mentioned the website, uh, several times, I I know I'm aware of a blog that you regularly post on that you have. That's a that looks like a personal blog, 
but then the website that you're referring to, I'm assuming, is in the MU extension. It is, yes, okay. extension.missouri.edu. And uh, so you can, you can type in neighboring in the search bar. It's going to bring you some articles. Uh, if you want to go to the Green County specific page, there's something on there called the Engage Neighbor Program. That's one of the tabs, and that will give you some links to some ways that you can connect with some of the programming and work that we're doing in this space. Okay, and then um, can you tell us okay. about uh, your blog? And then also you're now affiliating with the Springfield Daily Citizen. Is that right? That is that is true. Um, so my, my blog, it's called We Are Neighbors, and it's actually the name of a uh, neighboring initiative that began this year at Ridgecrest Baptist Church. Uh, and... Uh, because that is in the mission statement, and they really tried to have a concentrated focus this year on getting members to connect with their neighbors in a positive way. And We Are Neighbors is the name of that sort of campaign, and so that's the name of the, the blog as well. And then, um, oh, I may be getting tired. I've already forgotten what the second question was. Uh, the now. Springfield Daily oh, Citizen. Oh, the Springfield Daily <laughs> Citizen. Thank that's you. okay. Thank you. Uh, yeah, they, they um, the editor there uh, approached me about writing a monthly uh, column on the topic of neighboring. And I, I also write uh, a column in the Greene County Commonwealth uh, and have uh, for I have read it over, several times, over yes. a decade. And uh, over the last couple of years, that has become pretty focused on the topic of neighboring as well. Neighboring and placemaking types of topics. Okay. And so, yeah, I was glad to be able to get to do that in the Daily Citizen. I, I always say if anybody's talking about neighboring, we all benefit. So uh, any of those opportunities to do that, I try to say yes. And if it gets people thinking about that or thinking about being a ba better neighbor or doing an event in their neighborhood, we all ultimately benefit from that. So you're doing a lot of writing about this topic. A lot of writing. Yeah, maybe yes. put it all together in a book someday? I, um, I, perhaps. Surely I think, it's crossed your I, mind. It has crossed my mind. Surely. I, I, have, I, I have a couple of books I've written actually in the past on one-room schoolhouses. Uh, so I have done that before. It, it um, I regurgitate a lot of information right now. I'd have to come up with some unique so, research and unique sure. ideas. Yeah. And uh, this year we are, uh, through the extension, doing a uh, Springfield area, it'll cover all of Greene County, um, study on neighboring. Uh, Fifteen very basic questions to establish a baseline here. And then the idea is we're going to repeat that every year to see if some of these efforts are helping move the needle on some of these things about how people interact with their neighbors or how they think about that. You, you just think about, even in Republic, um, if every neighbor is doing their part to try and love and get along with their neighbor well, uh, if we're thinking about that and how we interact with other people, even in the broader community, then we really become ambassadors for the town of Republic. As Republic grows, I think it's going to be more important than ever to be connected in those neighborhoods because it's going to be increasingly easy to feel like a number or be lost in the crowd. One of the primary reasons that people do not connect with their neighbors is selfishness. Uh, when I've done a presentation on, t on neighboring, I always say that the research points to several factors. Uh, loneliness. If you're already lonely, you're less likely to try and connect with those around you. There's plenty of research on that. Retreat, the fact that we look at our home as a retreat or a 
Fortress of Solitude. You know, that, that works for Superman, but it does not work for human beings very well. We, we don't need a Fortress of right. Solitude or to Darth be Darth Vader has a castle or, surrounded by lava. <laughs> right? that, that doesn't work. <laughs> or entertainment options. I mean, we have so much entertainment on the inside of our house, there's no reason to go out outside. Uh, people talk about their busyness of schedule. I just don't have time for this. And really, I try to say, don't. I'm not asking you to create extra time. It's think about how you can incorporate your neighbors and what you're already doing. That That's a, a better approach. And sometimes people say, I'm afraid of what I'm going to get into. I'm afraid of what what the mess will be with these other neighbors. Community is messy, David. And, and it can, and be, it, it can, it can be. be messy. Yes. And, and so those are the ones I've always focused on until I heard the speaker a couple of weeks ago. It said she really thought all of those excuses could be summed up with the word selfishness. And so for me personally, that has been pretty convicting here about how, how many times do I choose self over neighbor connections, self over other people. Is there anything on this topic that I have neglected to ask or that you would want to say? Well, we have covered a lot of ground for sure. And uh, one of my dreams for Republic is um, to really de- to hopefully grow a network of neighborhood associations. The, these are not HOAs that have rules, and, and that is not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about citizen-formed associations for the pu- purpose of social revitalization, for the purpose of helping people feel connected. And in those associations, really looking at what the asset is where you live. So where I am at, I have a goal in this next year to really kind of set out and try and create an Owen Park Neighborhood Association. Owen Park is next to my neighborhood. That is an asset for the neighborhoods that adjoin that. And and so can that be a common asset that we we rally around in some way that can help lead to social revitalization in those neighborhoods that adjoin? So that's kind of my goal for the next year or two and specific here in Republic and uh, it's it's part of that being a good ambassador and connecting with neighbors, and maybe that's something we can spread throughout the city. Awesome. I have one more question that's not about this. Okay. Um, what is your favorite restaurant in Republic? Where do oh, you like to eat? Wow. Top of your list. Well, we we love to eat. Uh, we we hop around. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we we hop around. That wasn't the question. <laughs> we do hop around to lots of things. Uh, I think if you were asking my wife about where did she like to go for lunch, she would have to say Ease In. Um, okay, all she, right, yeah, she, yeah. She goes by there uh, every once in a while and, and gets something. Uh, she loves Mexican. Um, honestly, we, we like El Charo. Okay. We go there quite a bit. Yeah. And Hetty's Barbecue. Hetty's, we hit yeah. We hit both of those quite a bit. Yeah. But I, I'm, I, I know that we have spent money at every restaurant in Republic. I, I think we have... Good variety. I guess there's always room for more. Uh, but, man, I really appreciate the variety that we do have and the options. Okay. So the, what I'm hearing is if I have to pin you down for one, I'm here in El Charo. <laughs> uh, I, I'd probably I'd be okay with that. Okay. Sure. We'll, All right. we'll, we'll, we'll say that. Okay. Wonderful. Well, D- David, thank you for coming in. You were on my list for season one, but just for one reason or another. I, I don't know why I never circled back around to you for season one. And so when I started up season two... Uh, you were one of the first people that I reached out to because I'm like, this guy is connecting the community uh, in a big way, and this is going to be exactly what we need 
as works, you know, growth, 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 which is wonderful, wonderful. Um, but when you grow, you need programs and intentionality like this so we don't lose our soul. Yeah. Yeah, yeah we have to be intentional. That's a great word to use. You have to make that intentional choice. I'm going to linger at the mailbox, visit with a neighbor. I'm going to make an intentional choice to be in the front yard. It is very much intentional. Exactly. David Burton, thank you for joining me on Retmo Radio. Appreciate the opportunity. This has been another episode of Retmo Radio, where we talk to people of interest and influence who live and work in this city that we love. Thank you for joining us, and we will see you next week on the next episode.